right, folks, welcome back to the Road Home from Wrestling interview. My name's Andy, coming to you live to tape, and today we got a really interesting guest. Today we're joined by pro wrestling historian and author, Greg Oliver. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show, Andy. Greg, tell the folks, where are you right now? I'm sitting at my kitchen table uh, in Toronto, Ontario. Toronto, Ontario. So you are specifically kind of a Canadian pro wrestling historian, a little more so than a United States pro wrestling historian. Is that correct? Mm, I might have started out that way, but I wouldn't consider that the case anymore. I'm definitely probably the leading authority on Canadian wrestling history at the moment. But, I mean, when you look at all the work I've done over the years, I mean, I've interviewed people from everywhere. It's it's Pro, pro wrestling history doesn't just uh, obey borders. That's a good way to put it. That's very true. That's a good point. Now, why have you done this with your life? So you've, you've kind of chosen this path to be a historian of pro wrestling and hockey as well, um, you know, and, and some other things I'm sure too. But why is pro wrestling so important to you and why is preserving its history uh, so much so important to you that you would dedicate your life to it? Well, I'm not exactly sure I'd say I'd dedicate my life to it, but I have been writing about wrestling for 30 years. It's one of those things that it got in my blood early. Hulkamania ran wild on me. Uh, everybody was talking about it in the schoolyard. And, you know, it sort of stuck with me. But right from the start, I, I became fascinated with the actual history of the sport and how things worked and especially how much it was just not WWF at the time, right? There was everything else. You learned that there were promotions here and there, and then you wanted to learn more, and why is this guy here? And you'd go get the newspapers out of the uh, reference library and see the Florida results. And it was just something about it just really caught me. Uh, and then since then, it's it's a different kind of bug. And I've learned that I enjoy the art of the interview and talking to people as much, if not more, than the actual digging through newspaper clippings. And uh, finding the real extra stuff. Um, that, that's important, too. And I love doing that. But I, I definitely love talking to the wrestlers and hearing the stories. Probably a little more now. Hopefully we'll get into a couple stories here a little later on. But, you know, it's interesting how when you first, you know, start to like pro wrestling, you, you kind of see what's on TV. And then, it, you know, as you get into it, it exponentially kind of unfolds before you. And it's almost endless. Is it? Would you say that um, the amount of different promotions and people that are out there is more complicated nowadays or when you first got into it? Well, it's so public now. It's a whole different – I mean it's apples and oranges. Like back then, you didn't know who was running the actual promotion in that territory or whatever it may be. Now everything's – you know, like the guys are bragging about promoting a show on, on Facebook and Twitter and giving away angles and all kinds of weird stuff. It's just, it, it's just a completely different uh, game now. And there's so many more wrestlers because you know, there's no regulation in most states and most provinces. Uh, so anybody can be a wrestler and anyone can promote. And it's, it's really opened the gates uh, for good and for bad. I, I, that's a different debate for a different day. So you're not necessarily a huge fan of the Wild West that pro wrestling's become, I'm sensing. And and that's interesting. I, I, that's a great point of view because I kind of feel that way a little bit too in some respects. However, you know, it, it does, like you said, also brings out the good as well as the bad. And I'm sure you could make comparisons to the past and to the future and, and everything. But, uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about 
uh, one of the things we're here to talk about is the fact that you are going to be presented with a huge award here soon. Um, so the Cauliflower Alley Club, can you briefly tell the folks what that is and uh, talk a little bit about the fact that you're receiving the James C. Melby Award? Previous winners include Bill Apter, uh, Mike uh, Mooneyham, uh, you know, oh, Dave Meltzer. Stop for a sec. Uh-huh. You're, you're a little bit off there, Andy. That one, that's the Melby Award from Waterloo, Iowa, oh. which is based on journalism. Uh, and that's the one, the Tregos Thez uh, Hall of Fame in Waterloo, Iowa, which is part of the Dan Gable Museum. And that one, Steve Johnson and I got previously in 2008. And um, it's a great award, too, and it's a great Hall of Fame. The Cauliflower Alley Club is not a brick and mortar building like the Tragostez Hall of Fame in Waterloo. Instead, it's basically a fraternal organization of pro wrestlers. Uh, it used to have boxers and actors and stuntmen and stuff in it too, but that's sort of faded away a little bit, but you never know who's going to show up at the annual conventions in, uh, in Vegas. Like, you know, I've met Grizzly Adams or Billy Corgan, of course, is a big wrestling guy. Uh, you just don't know who's going to show up. Um, so the idea is that uh, everybody gets together once a year in Vegas and they present awards down there. So that award is based a little bit more on history. And it's also named after James C. Melby, who was a famed uh, wrestling historian, writer. He did all kinds of uh, magazines and was involved with promotions, particularly the AWA. Um, it's pretty ironic, I guess, that there's maybe not ironic, but there's two different rewards named after him. And they both reflect uh, what the man was, both a historian, but also a journalist. And so it's quite an honor to be getting both. That is confusing. And uh, I appreciate you uh, straightening that out for me because I was about to say, well, this will be the second time you're getting this award, but it turns out it's a different James C. Melby award. That is confusing. <laughs> so Agreed. <laughs> well, you know, these things happen, but that that's the thing is that, okay, so this kind of award though, that's a big deal. And like you said, there could be all kinds of interesting folks there. Is this the kind of thing where when you go to one of these type of deals that maybe you're trying to get a couple interviews while you're there, or, or is this just kind of like a, uh, more of a social type thing? Oh, it's definitely both. Uh, they're certainly back when I started going and I've been going to the CAC regularly since 2001. Um, I mean, it's fascinating. You get to sit down with a guy like uh, Father Bill Olivas, who was Elephant Boy and, uh, you know, Slave Girl Moolah was his second going to the ring. So, you know, we're talking the early days of the 1950s of televised wrestling. I mean, you know, sitting and talking to him was was amazing. Uh, but, you know, these days, you know, like Dean Ambrose was there last year as his last day as Dean Ambrose. And at midnight, he became John Moxley. It was like a Cinderella kind of story. But um, so, but he's not hanging out with everybody the same way. So it, yeah, I do do some interviews for sure, but often it's a lot of it's about being seen, and that's like any business, right? It's not just who you know; it's also that they know you. And so, for me to have the chance to be down there uh, to get an award, or or often for the last number of years, I've gotten a chance to host um, or co-host the. Uh, they call it the Bachwicka blowout on Tuesday night, which is a very informal affair. And it's just basically, you know, hanging out and going around and taking a roving mic and letting guys take the mic. And there's been lots of great memories from that, from the iron Sheik taking the mic. Uh, and, and yeah, I wasn't sure I was ever going to get back. And then there was like, um, I'm trying to remember how old exactly he was at the time, but there's a guy named Ted Tortoise 
who was a contemporary of Jim Londis and wrestled it in the 30s. And he showed up out of the blue one year at the Cauliflower Alley Club. And so all the guys, like-minded people like myself and Steve Johnson and Steve Yoey and Scott Teal, we all quickly pooled our thoughts and got a bunch of questions for him. So cornered him and sat him down in a room and asked him like everything we wanted to know about 1930s wrestling. And he was amazing. So of course that night at the Bachwick of Blowout, I introduced him. And again, it's like nothing had changed. It's here we are all these, you know, 70 years later, and he's, he's still able to grab a mic and be captivating. Every wrestling fan needs to get to the Cauliflower Alley Club, at least at one point in their lives. Yeah, that's a tremendous thing. Now, so you you say you go to this, you never who's going to show up, but there's always got to be these staples that are kind of always there, like yourself, I'm sure. And and who's the guy that you see and you get a big old smile on your face, he gets a big old smile on your face, and you know, you know, three hours worth of conversations about to happen, and it's going to be a blast. Who who's that one guy? Well, it's not always the wrestlers, but uh, you know, you make lots of friends, and sometimes they're family. Uh, of wrestlers i'm great friends with jg dylan's daughter for example there's other wrestlers that never you know became big stars my friend kurt nielsen is is one that i go to see uh but through kurt i became good friends with uh, colonel de beers ed waskowski and he's a hoot we've actually all roomed together a few times uh and the laughs just don't stop and and uh, neither does the whiskey and it's just it's a lot of fun and you just it, again, there's there's moments you can't predict, right? Go down and go buy a hot dog, and Ken Patera is in line, and so Ken and I go sit down and have a few beers and and eat hot dogs. You know, eat, again, you couldn't have predicted it. So you've written 14 books. I'm probably wrong about that too. I mean, you're working on number 15, is that right, or is is that one? When when's that one going to be out? Okay, there's 13 books put out by ECW Press, uh, and there were um, seven hockey. And uh, six rest, no, sorry, seven wrestling and six hockey. Let me get that straight. And I've self-published two kids' books. Uh, one was about hockey called Duck with a Puck, which I wrote with my son. And the other uh, was called Santa's Day Job, which is about what Santa does the rest of the year. So somewhat appropriate this time of the year. Um, and I'm, yeah, there's always something else on the horizon. You're not always sure what it is, but at the moment I'm working with uh, John Arezzi on his memoir. And, um, for those who don't know, John Arezzi was an early pioneer of wrestling radio and uh, had a show in the early 90s. Actually, he had one before that in the 70s. But uh, the early 90s is what he's really known for. And um, so he's had an interesting life because he didn't just do wrestling. He quit uh, and went into country music. Uh, so he helped, you know, he discovered Patti Loveless and Kelsey Ballerini and some other, you know, fairly big name country stars over the years. And he's worked with everybody from, you know, the Dixie Chicks to Taylor Swift. Uh, he's got stories on like NSYNC and all kinds of other music people, too. So it's a fascinating project and, um, and we're moving along on it. It comes out in the spring of 2021. Yeah, that's it. Now, his his uh, ring name was Sunny Beach. Is that correct? Mm. No, no. That was his uh, longtime colleague, uh, Sunny Beach. was What's his name? Al. I can't remember Al's last name. No, uh, John Arezzi briefly wrestled as John Anthony, like as in two matches. Um, but he always claimed he was a wrestler, which is a bit of a work for sure. <laughs> but uh, imagine that in pro wrestling. Somebody's working you a little bit. But uh, no, he definitely has le legitimatized to all kinds of different things. He promoted. Uh, he's done all kinds of things. And, and he's a good guy to boot. 
What you know that made me think a little bit. There's a lot of these kind of pun names in wrestling. Can you think of a couple really fun ones or ones that were maybe bad or something like that that you've uh, that you've come across over the years? Oh, I love like a guy like Scott Demore. What did um, what was he called? The Brute. He he did like a before the goon in WWE. He was a he was a fighter character. Uh, you know, like a, a hockey fighter. And he came to the ring. He also did that golf one too. What was it? Chip Fairley, I think it was the golfing <laughs> name. But anyway, Scott's a great guy, and so it's easy to sort of tease him about that kind of stuff. And of course, now he's basically running TNA, or sorry, not TNA. I shouldn't say that. He's running Impact Wrestling. He actually was just recently in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, they had a show up here, and you know, somebody who's uh, pretty famous around here for being a hardworking dude got signed to uh, Impact, Larry D. So that was pretty cool. And Scott Demore did like a little. Uh, you know, speech in the ring, and it, that was pretty neat stuff. Um, you know, I'm happy to have them around and, and everything. Now, um, I, I was going to say, but related to that though, Andy, that's part of the journey for us as fans and and writers, isn't it? That you get to be a part of this journey, right? You may have met this Larry D dude when he was younger, or this and that, and to see them succeed, it a little bit feels like maybe you didn't help them succeed, but you were along for the ride, and you 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 get a benefit out of that too. I say that all the time. I mean, that I always say that's the ultimate fan experience to see a guy go from and, and we didn't have this experience with Larry D, but we have had it with other wrestlers where we see them as a trainee. We see them as a security guard. Then they make their debut in the ring. Then they, you know, have a, a great a bunch of great feuds. And then all of a sudden they're on TV and that happens on occasion. And it is, like I said, the ultimate fan experience, because if you did help them, that's great. If, you know, most of them forget it, by the way, <laughs> when they get on TV, but at the same time, some of them don't. And those are the folks that I really love and I just really root for. Who Have you ever, I'm assuming you've had that experience many times. Who, who's someone that sticks out in your mind that you've had that experience with? Uh, yeah, there's there's been quite a few. I have a notebook from uh, probably about 1990. Uh, no, it would have been 92 or so, but it says uh, Sexton Hardcastle could be good if ceiling was higher because he was in a bar <laughs> show. And of course, he went on to become Edge, um, and he's a guy that uh, has has kept his head together about him all these years. And so I can get an email from him here and there, or um, you know, you send him a little note when his mom dies or whatever. Like you know, there's there's somebody you actually know as a person, uh, as opposed to uh, a superstar. Um, so some of the guys are like that, and that right, it is a magical kind of thing. And uh, with AEW signing so many um, Canadians too, it's like a lot of those guys we've known for many years. Uh, or you've seen them change through the years, right? Uh, Butcher and Blade are on the show, and they're um, Andy Williams and uh, Pepper Parks from Buffalo. And so they're guys I've seen and known for years and years. Yeah, Pepper Parks was actually trained here in Cincinnati, you know? Yeah. So uh, With, with Les Thatcher, yeah. You got it. Yeah, Les Thatcher's been on this show before, a good friend of mine. Um, he just recently moved down to Tennessee away because he used to live like 10 miles from me and I go see him all the time. He's a, he's one of those guys that I sought out when I first kind of got into my, uh, you know, pro wrestling journey, uh, just because I had to learn as much as I could about our area and where wrestling came from. And he's kind of the, the go-to guy. Uh, another guy that's in the area is Roger Ruffin. He runs the Northern Wrestling Federation, which Les Thatcher actually started. So, um, you know, we got these great ties. He's the one who trained Abyss and, uh, you know, Carl Anderson. So there, there's some really great ties to some uh, some great wrestling um, roots here in Cincinnati. Now, uh, can, 
Canada obviously has tremendous pro wrestling roots, and some of the greatest wrestlers of all time have come from Canada. You've been around a while and seen the Canadian wrestling scene change, I'm sure, over the years. Can you kind of talk about the current state of Canadian pro wrestling and, and how it might compare to how things were when you were younger? Well, again, we come back to the the whole idea of the commission. So back when, I, I mean, even when Slam Wrestling website started, which I've been running for 23 scary years now, um, back then, like, you could call the Ontario Athletic Commission and find out whether a show was licensed or not. Um, so now it's, it, it's Wild West-ish, sure. Like, anybody can run. But by and large, there's a lot more pride from the promoters and from the wrestlers that uh, we have this amazing talent base, uh, whether it's the smash wrestling guys or um, Ethan page has one in, in Hamilton called alpha one that he's, he's one of the guys behind like all these guys, they're, they're not necessarily the sole guy behind it. As you know, it takes a team to put on a show. Uh, so there's some amazing stuff. And, and one of the neat things about Canada is of course it's so huge. So sometimes they do these Northern tours, right? Where they go up, uh, to the, you know, deep into the snow country, right? So they'll take uh, winter roads, which means driving across the ice up into northern Manitoba or uh, fly up to Iqaluit, which is, uh, you know, the northernmost capital in the world uh, and put on a show there for primarily the, the Inuit that live up there. Um, but the people who've gone on those trips, they just tell wonderful stories. And I know we've ran a couple stories of them over the years on Slam. Uh, so, again, they're, they're, it's a big country. I mean, it's bigger than the U.S. There's so much out there and uh, so much to discover. The uh, There's a podcast. Uh, I don't even know if it's still around, honestly, because I quit listening to it a while ago because uh, I think Lance Storm left it. It was called Killing the Town. And it was uh, Lance Storm and uh, Cyrus from, uh, you know, WWE or or ECW. And uh, they told so like the the beginning, like the first 10 episodes of that show, they told so many great stories about those northern tours and just crazy stuff, you know, trying to cross frozen rivers. And, you know, and then and they had a 10 by 10 ring, I think, and just, you know, all this crazy stuff. Um, Can you regale me with any particular story about uh, about a northern tour that you've heard oh well i haven't been on any uh but uh yeah i know you hear about the sleeping on the floor and there's lots of stories about um you know how scary it is like you're driving a van and you're all in this van and you're going across a frozen lake and it's been scary enough the few times i've done i've gone across a scary like a, a frozen lake you know with uh you know when you're going winter camping but, you know, these guys are in a vehicle and something goes wrong. It's going to crack. Uh, it, so, yeah, I, I hats off to Tony Candelo and all the people who've run it over the years. Uh, better you than me. But a lot of them, I mean, they see it as paying their dues. I mean, Edge and Christian and Rhino and, and all those guys have done it. And that's exactly how they saw it. Is it, it was part of their journey to become who they are. Uh, they learned what they're capable of doing and, and surviving. Uh, so that, you know, when they do get the perks of, of the hard work they do in WWE, you know, at least they can really appreciate it. Yeah. It seems like that some of the Canadian wrestlers, like your Lance Storms and Jericho's and guys like that kind of have this like toughness in their blood, you know, that was kind of baked in there from doing all these, uh, this, these crazy tours and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting, you know, do you think that, uh, pro wrestlers nowadays have that still? Or do you think that, you know, maybe it's not that way anymore? The toughness? Um, yeah, it's a different toughness. 
than I think it used to be, right? It used to be your, maybe not football toughness, but like that hardy, been able be able to survive on the road and take all the bumps, get up and keep going. And these guys would do it with a, with a two, four, a beer instead of, you know, painkillers or whatever. So today's wrestlers are tough in a whole different way, right? They're so well conditioned. They got to get to the gym. They worry about their nutrition. They, they worry about, uh, you know, getting to the the next town and then they maybe the WWE has a, a physiotherapist or a chiropractor to help them through it. So it's just a whole different experience. I think than the old guys, it's, it's a different kind of toughness uh, that being away on the road all the time and hats off to the people who do it for sure. I can imagine that it's gotta be an interesting experience. Now I I've never, you know, I've never really wrestled or anything like that, but you know, I have done shows. So, you know, if you're not familiar with our show, Typically, we do interviews, but mostly what we do is we go to local independent wrestling shows and then we review them on the road home. That's why our show is called The Road Home from Wrestling, and we're kind of unique that way. But, uh, you know, we've done show weeks where we've had like five or six shows that we're going to in one week. And when I look back on that, I think it's all like a blur, you know, it's just like, it just happened. And it's like, it all happened at once almost. And I can't imagine some of these guys that are on the road five, six days a week for a year, let alone 10 years and how that must affect, you know, their memory of everything. I, I, have you ever spoken with any pro wrestlers about the grind and about how that affects kind of their, their memories of things? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think in general, the idea is that the, the wrestlers remember the things away from the matches. So that's what the fans remember though, is the matches. And so they'll see, Oh, well, what happened at that show in Cincinnati? That was really neat. And they'll sort of fake it. Cause they won't remember that specific thing, but they might've remembered that that night, you know, after the show, they all went to uh, the IHOP and uh, you know, stayed up till three in the morning laughing. Like, so that will mean more to them than the actual match. Cause the match is a little bit routine. It's everything outside of it. That isn't, um, it's, a, it's, it's, I, I often compare it a lot to the hockey players too, because I've interviewed lots of hockey players. Um, and my general rule of thumb is if I'm dealing with, you know, 70 or 80 year old hockey player, their wits are going to be with them, but with a wrestler, they're not going to remember that. Like they're, they're, they're going to be a little bit more scrambled. They don't have all that stuff sort of burned into them. Like their records, their, their stats, their, you know, when they scored goals, their career itself is a blur. Um, and so they remember the travel. They remember, well, tell me about who your best friend was on the road or who you did confide with or, or what was the ring rats like in this town? And those kind of stories <laughs> they can tell you, but they may not be able to tell you much, uh, you know, championship matches are a little different. They stand out, but you know, they wrestled so many times. There's no way they could possibly remember them all. It's gotta be tough. That That's true. But that's an interesting point about how like hockey players or, you know, folks that play football or whatever sport, you know, the stats are rammed down their throat, especially like in the NHL, for example, where, you know, your stats may make the difference between making, you know, $500,000 a year or $3 million a year. What, um, you know, is there any translation of that to wrestling other than championships or, you know, accolades as of like, you know, wrestling a particular wrestler? No, and, and nobody's really tried to do all the analytics for wrestling that way. And I, I'm not sure it, it would ever translate completely. But I mean, it is it is an excellent point. But like hockey or football or whatever, you need those superstars. Sure. You need your John Cena's. You need your 
you know, the guy. Guys, if you don't have the referee, if you don't have the the guy who does the ring lights, if you don't have the guy that tightens the, the turnbuckle properly, you don't have success. And so it, it really is a real team aspect. And that's not something that comes out enough in pro wrestling because the very nature of it is that these guys have to brag about themselves. They have to put themselves over again and again and again. So it isn't until they retire that I think that these guys generally look back and really have an appreciation for uh, the other people. And it doesn't mean they're dismissive because I hear lots of stories and I've met them, you know, where they, you know, they're thanking the cameraman or whatever it is for, um, for that event. But uh, by and large, I think it's the older wrestlers that get a better perspective on, on what all those extra people meant. I mean, Terry Funk, when he was inducted in the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame and when he's been on the stage at the CAC, you know, he'll always thank all those guys who helped put him over because otherwise he wouldn't be Terry Funk. Terry Funk's the best. He's so awesome. I, you know, I, I love his whole personage. I mean, he is like one of the toughest SOBs to ever live. And he's got that voice, you know, that soft, gentle voice. It's so incredible. Like who, who are some more people that are kind of like in a walking enigma like that, that you've run into over the years or someone that might stick out in your mind as like, you know, a Terry Funk type where they're, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of, uh, you know, a contradiction. Well, I, there's, there's been a few guys like that, but like one that sticks out would be like Stan Hansen. And, and I, I first met him in, uh, where was it? Amsterdam, New York, the pro wrestling hall of fame when it was there. Now it's in Wichita falls. But, um, you know, I met him there. I was a little intimidated there and I didn't really get to know him, but then, uh, we're in Waterloo, Iowa at the hall of fame there. And he's there with, Barbara Goodish. And we come back from going out with, like, again, these are the moments you, you can't make up, right? So I'm going out for drinks with J.J. Dillon uh, and uh, Tully Blanchard and and some of their family. And uh, so we're going out for drinks and, you know, there's a couple of WWE people there too. And then so we come back later and we go sit down in the bar and it's Barbara Goodish, Bruiser Brody's widow, and Stan Hansen sitting in the bar and Stan's son. And so, you know, just sit down and you start talking to them. And and he's the most sweetest guy. He's just terrifying to me for some reason. You know, it's just what, when I watched him back in, you know, 86, when he beat up my, you know, my friend Rick Martell and all these things, <laughs> these things stick with you as wrestling fans. And so to see the barriers break down a little bit and, and realize, oh, yeah, they're, they're real people. That's again, that's part of the magic of this business. Something interesting I've always found that makes me terrified of Stan Hansen is, well, first of all, have you ever chewed tobacco, Greg? No, that's not my thing. So, so um, if you're not familiar with chewing tobacco, it kind of stings when it touches your lips. You know, it, it, you don't want tobacco sitting on your lip. Uh, you want it inside your mouth. Now, I don't chew tobacco, but I have done it once or twice when I was a kid. I tried it and uh, I almost threw up. And Stan Hansen would have a giant shawl that's just like falling out of his mouth all over his face. I mean, it, it, just that alone makes him way tougher than I could ever imagine being because that would just hurt. I don't know. I, I What did you ever think of this like this uh, tobacco gimmick? This stuff was incredible. You're right. That's something I've never asked him. That would have been a good thing to ask. But I mean, that's that's history, isn't it? It's like, you know, if I knew you know, then what I know now, you know, I look at some of these people I've met and didn't interview or people I have met and, or did interview and, and didn't ask the right questions. You know, I sat down 
once. You know, the time's hanging out with Vern Gagne. There's so many more questions I'd love to go back to them with. And, of course, you can't. And that's that's life, isn't it? it? It is. I mean, we all wish we knew what we knew know now back in the day. I mean, there's even a song about it, probably many songs about it. But, uh, well, Greg, this has been awesome, man. You are – we are scratching the very, very surface of, uh, you know, the – billions of things that you, you know, anecdotes and stories and, and interviews and things like that, that you've experienced in your, your days as a, you know, as an author, um, you know, where can folks find your books? Because it seems to me that that's where all this knowledge is stored. A lot of it. Well, for sure. So first off, I still run the slam wrestling website. Uh, just Google slam wrestling. Google loves us. Um, so that's the the first place. And we've done tons of historical work there. So when I say the Melby Ward isn't just mine, it, it's quite true. I think it's it's a testament to all the people who's worked with me at Slam Wrestling. We've done all kinds of historical stories there. Uh, you know, whether I send a, a writer to go hang out with Reggie Parks at his, at his um, belt making facility in, in uh, Phoenix, which is his garage, or whether it's, you know, sitting down with uh, Bob Cook, who, you know, was an enhancement guy down in Florida. I mean, my, my writers have been game for these kind of adventures. Uh, so a lot of that gets uh, certainly throughout the site, and we, we're pretty well indexed. Um, Oliverbooks.ca is uh, my website that has links to all my books. Uh, but the thing is that the latest one, the, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Storytellers, uh, is a great example of a culmination of things, right? So this book is not a book I could have written in 2003 when the Pro Wrestling Canadians, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Canadians came out. So there's a lot I learned in between. Um, so there's a, you can see a growth, I think, if you read, I hope you see a growth if you've uh, <laughs> read my books. And, and that's, again, that's pretty natural too. Um, but bookstores, I mean, they're all ECW Press. Uh, books. You can get them in bookstores, certainly on Amazon. But the other thing I'd like to note, though, is, and it's not just for my book, if you want a book, you can go to your local bookstore and ask for it and they'll order it. And chances are they might order, you know, another copy of it, which helps the authors. Uh, they might order a couple more from that publisher or that distributor, which again, helps the authors because the books actually get to the bookstores. Uh, so we got to support our local bookstores. Not everything needs to be uh, Amazon these days. That's a great point, man. You know, that's something that we don't think about very often. We see all these bookstores closing around us, yet we do nothing to support them. All we do is complain about how they're gone, you know, but it's half the bookstores around here are just glorified coffee houses these days. And uh, it, it, there's a few of them that still exist, and I try to buy mine from them if I can. You know, and uh, like you said, if you can't find this book at your local store, um, you can order it and you can go, uh, you know, like you said, on the oliverbooks.ca so you can check out all the different offerings that Greg Oliver has. Um, Greg, do you have social media or anything else where folks can find you and see what adventures you're getting into next? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, we're trying. I certainly on the Twitter is, is Greg Map. So G-R-E-G-M as in Michael, E as in Elephant, P as in Peter. And, um, you know, there's a lot of different things. I mean, I also have an Instagram account, but it's sort of a work in progress. And I've got a 13-year-old uh, son, and he, he called me a peasant the other day for the numbers I'm getting on Instagram because I don't try very hard. Instagram's about leaving the house. And when you work at home... Uh, and you don't get out to a ton of things like your Instagram's going to be kind of boring, isn't it? I mean, do you really need to see this, this food I just made? I just made pancakes and sausage for dinner. Did you need to see that? <laughs> no. 
you know, but when I go out and do something, then, then yeah. So I, I'm not really adept at that one yet, but maybe I'll get there. I'm kind of old. Well, you know, we, we don't have Instagram either. I just, I don't know. I just feel like I'm too old for that, but, and, and I'm not good looking enough. It seems to me like Instagram is full of all these really good looking people posting pictures of themselves working out. And again, what am I going to post a picture of me and a microphone talking into it? You know, I don't know what uh, people would care about that, but, uh, but anyway, that's pretty awesome, man. Well, any kind of following uh, or any kind of uh, final thoughts that you want to get out to the folks that, that will be listening to this and, and, uh, or any kind of messages that you want to say about pro wrestling or about the stuff that you're doing. No, I appreciate that. There's people out you they, out there like you, Andy, that uh, still love the business and want to talk about it and want to share the knowledge. And, and I like talking about pro wrestling. It's, uh, it's been a part of my life forever. Um, and yeah, you know, but you need to support these people too. Right. Uh, and it's not just me, anybody who does this stuff, uh, of their own volition, it, content isn't free. You got to get out there and, and support people. Um, so maybe that's buying a book for somebody for Christmas and it's not for yourself. Maybe it's going to the local library and seeing if it's there. I have no problem with libraries. Libraries need to live too. So again, you can ask them for the book and say, Hey, do you have this book? And maybe they'll order it and maybe a couple more people will get it out. I don't think the U S has anything like it, but in Canada, there's actually a system whereby authors can register and actually get some money when library books are taken out too. So I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist in the U S but then no. again, there's a different priority put on reading. I think in the U S <laughs> and Canada. Fair enough. <laughs> that is definitely true. Well, Greg, like I said, this has been awesome. I'm really happy that you, you, you were able to come on and I'm excited for all the stuff you got coming up. Um, folks, you can follow me at Jerusalem tweets on Twitter. You can follow the show at the road home FW and for me and my guest, Greg Oliver, thank you so much for listening.